Hi there, it's Daniel. A Positive Jam Season 1 rolls on with another bonus episode. Today, we're speaking to Kyle Undum and Brian Holm. Kyle sounds like this. Minneapolis punk band Dillinger 4. And Brian sounds like this. May as well just be fantasy. Mike Taylor is on the podcast as ever, sounding like this. Were there people with shaved heads? Kyle and Brian founded and ran the music website 30music.com, which they ran out of Minnesota during the 2000s. 30 Music was one of those websites that proliferated with the rise of the internet, along with sites like Tiny Mixtapes, Coke Machine Glow, Glorious Noise, PunkNews.org, Pop Matters, and of course, Pitchfork Media. As I've disclosed before, I wrote for 30music.com and ended up becoming an editor as well. As Minneapolis indie music fans, Kyle and Brian both saw the rise of the whole city up close and can understand better than us where the whole city comes from. So we talk about the band's geographical and musical heritage, Lifter Puller, the residents of Minneapolis in their lyrics, and how much of this stuff Craig Finn was just making up. Here we go. Okay, we've got Kyle and Brian here to talk about Minneapolis and Lifter Polar and, of course, the Hold Steady. One thing that I wanted to ask you two is, Minneapolis is this beloved romantic setting for Craig Finn and throughout the Hold Steady's music. And how do you explain this love for Minnesota, for Minneapolis? Like, what is he drawing on? What power is this? Because I think people outside of that location may not really understand it. I've tried to come up with explanations, but I don't really have a good one. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Mike. And I think that's something I've thought about because I left Minnesota in 2005, which would have been right around the time Separation Sunday came out. And... I think Almost Killed Me came out in 2004. So I had just started really getting into the Hold Steady. I saw them once live at a, some sort of block party in Minneapolis. And then I, I left for Canada and I haven't really ever gone back to Minnesota. It's been about 15 years. And I think growing up there and then hearing all of Craig's references to Minneapolis, St. Paul, the Mississippi River, like all those themes that he, he kind of portrays in his lyrics, for me, it's kind of been this this way to connect for me back to Minnesota. So I've always thought of it as this, since I, I know Craig Finn is from Minneapolis, but then moved to New York. I think there's this kind of rom- romanticized idea of the Twin Cities, but you have to be away from there to realize it. So that's the way I've always kind of viewed it. Like he's kind of writing, has this, this idea of Minneapolis-St. Paul but he's, he's not there. And I obviously I can't speak for him, but that's the way I kind of hear his, his references. It has always kind of brought me back to, to the Twin Cities as well through hearing his references. Tell me about this block party. What was that like? Uh, it was just like, I was like, what was it? Cedar, not Cedar Fest. Somewhere, it was just on a street. They were just playing. A, it was a quite a, a decently large festival, but it wasn't. I wouldn't say it was packed. It was just they were playing outdoors, outdoor event, early summer. Wouldn't have been grand all day, would it? 
could have been grand old day. Yeah. You're probably right, Brian. Yeah, it probably was grand old day. And it was right after separation Sunday came out. And, but there, there were, there was this sense of like, Oh, they're, they're back. Either the people that knew of them then were like, Oh, they're back in the twin cities. And you know, whenever there was a reference to something local, there was an excitement in the crowd or whatever. And what are the fans like in, in Minneapolis or in Minnesota? Is there a special like affinity there? I think, I think, I think there is. And I think I, I can't speak too much for it because I haven't been there in so long. And maybe Brian can lead more into this, but I think there is like this sense of pride, at least from my perspective of being like, yeah, the hold steady and Craig Finn and Tad, they're, they're local and the whole city are local and they're from Minnesota. But they're obviously they, they formed in New York and they're a very international band. But it feels like if I were to say they are, they feel like a local band to me. They're definitely treated like a local band. I guess if we could get back to what uh, Minneapolis means exactly, I feel like it kind of works well for them that not a lot of people have a lot of experience here. Shauna Willie, who was the drummer for the Keyboys. She she had written a few reviews for us a while back, and I think she put it best when she reviewed Soft Rock. And I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but she was talking about how, for some people, the local Minneapolis references may as well just be fantasy, along with some of the other things that end up being fantasy uh, in that world. But then the closer you get to it, the more it kind of rings a bell for you and kind of becomes just that much more evocative. So it's, it, it kind of creates a mysticism around Minneapolis that isn't necessarily <laughs> there, but um, at the same time uh, feels like it could be, I guess. But I think that their popularity in Minnesota probably only grows over time, if that makes sense. I feel like right around the time Lifter Polar was dissolving, basically, is when they were gaining their most momentum. And then with everyone kind of coming around, it's, it was... What happened there? The Lifter Puller is like, it's just lost in this kind of mist. Like you go on YouTube and there are like a couple live clips. One, they're on the Jenny Jones show somehow. And, <laughs> yeah, I don't... <laughs> uh, but, but they're like, and then when, when the whole study formed, they seemed very hesitant to sort of talk about Lifter Polar. I think that they were trying to close the book on that. So in, in terms of figuring out that band and what it was like at its peak and how and why it fell apart, maybe the two of you can illustrate what it was like for them. They seem, it seems like they were this very powerful local band that just kind of vanished. And their website is still up and it's like new show coming soon. And it's like, there's only this very like sort of sad <laughs> dead end for like trying to figure out what Lifter Puller was and what they're about. They're kind of too pre-internet to really have, they're sort of ambiguously lost because they formed the whole study. So they, that band lives on, but only as kind of this weird shadow. So what were they like as a sort of living, breathing entity? in the late 90s uh, i'll i'll just share quickly about my experience with lifter polar and brian has more experience with them i'm sure but i was born in 1980 so in the late 90s when lifter polar were around i was probably in, in high school right and I'm, I'm not sure if you've heard of the local or the minneapolis punk band dillinger four 
It's probably one of the, the bigger punk bands from, from the Twin Cities. But at some point in high school, 16 or 17, I went to a Dillinger 4 show, and the openers, I recall, were Lifter Puller. And I had never heard of Lifter Puller. This was like, yeah, pre-internet, and I wasn't very in tune with the Twin Cities scene outside of Dillinger 4. But I just remember that name was kind of everywhere in the scene at the time. And I remember it kind of being a big deal, but I don't remember watching them or really connecting with their music. I think it was always a little bit over my head. You know, as a 16, 17-year-old punk rock kid, I connected more with the straightforward rock and roll or punk and roll of Dillinger 4. And it probably just went over my head. And that's all I really remember of Lifter Puller. And of course, going forward, it was like, I knew of them when the Hulk City came out. I was like, oh, it's Lifter Puller people in this new band. And then, of course, there's some local references from Atmosphere referencing some Lifter Puller lines in, in his music. So there's this, there's this aura, like Lifter Puller was, but I don't know if they were this huge band that drew a huge crowd or if they were kind of just under the radar and continued. Yeah. I would say for most of it, they, they weren't. Both of you had kind of alluded to it was uh, the kind of modes of promotion that exist now weren't around back then. So a lot of it was, was word of mouth or where you'd seen them, who you'd seen them with, and it would kind of spread that way. On top of kind of what you were saying, uh, Kyle, I, I think the other, the other thing that they have going for them is that the, the two, I think unquestionably, the two biggest acts of that era, the late 90s, uh, early 2000s, would be Dillinger 4 and Atmosphere, at least from Minneapolis. And what they have going for them is, is both those bands just hold Lifter Puller up whenever they can. You look like you were built for me. You talk like you want to steal my drink. You kiss like you already came. And that's a Lifter Puller line for those without any game. It's like, damn, baby, you know you can't save me, but you should still Dillinger 4 will. When uh, the Triple Rock opened, I think that the first two shows were, were Lifter Puller. They've reunited uh, with, or to perform with Atmosphere at one point as well. I think they've reunited again to perform for uh, a Dillinger 4 function. And Dillinger 4 is clearly big enough where if, if they wanted to open the Triple Rock themselves, it would have been a, a massive draw and a huge, a huge event on its own. But for whatever reason, they, they decided that a, a Lifter Puller reunion was, was the way to go. And that's probably, probably correct to some extent. But that's part of what continued to grow Lifter Polar even after they dissolved was that the group of people with probably the, the most clout and the most cred in the scene were constantly saying, these are the guys, this is, this is the band of that era. There's one more thread I kind of want to pull on that's out there on the internet is that the Lifter Polar shows were buck wild. And if you think of not only the lyrical content in Lifter Polar, but also the sort of things that Craig seems to draw on drugs and partying hard and all that kind of thing. Can you confirm or color in anything about Lifter Puller shows being in any way notorious? I've seen some videos of D4 shows and it looks like those guys like to get down. But I don't know whether it extends beyond any sort of local rock show vibe or if there was any 
if if those guys were out of, if Craig was like off the rails out of control as a young buck or anything, I have no idea because there's not really any evidence that I can find about it. That's a good question, Mike. And I that show that I did see them that I don't remember, but them opening for Dillinger Four. Like Dillinger Four are notorious for their pretty and in, very intense getting naked on stage live shows. Fortunately, I don't remember the lifter puller show. And I don't know, but the maybe that's all we need to know. <laughs> <laughs> the crowd was was very, very, very very angry and very punk rock and very mosh pits in a small little venue in downtown Minneapolis, you know, smoky and sweaty and probably beer flying everywhere. Again, I was probably 16 or 17, but it was, it, I mean, it was going to a D4 show back then was kind of a scary event, but you wanted to go because it was so good. Like they were so good live, but you knew you were going to get mauled if you tried to get close. As far as what Lifter Puller did, I honestly, I'm not sure if Craig Finn was like, in that hard drug scene or if that's kind of a manifestation that you look back on and kind of portrays i don't i don't know i don't know if brian can shed some shed any light on that or i i can't really confirm that either but i I think you're kind of right that just uh maybe the overarching scene melded well with with lifter puller what was what was the scene like then you learn about minneapolis and you learn about Husker Du, replacements, obviously Prince, but Prince seems like his own category in many ways. But And then Craig Finn will also point to Soul Asylum, which I remember from middle school in my BMG music days, whenever they got into that alt-rock popularity moment. Yes, I'm waiting by the phone. I'm waiting for you to call me. Definitely throw in Soul Asylum at any hapless <laughs> subscriber whenever they can. No disrespect to Soul Asylum, but I feel like they're right in that lane of like, we got a lot of copies to move here. <laughs> but like, was so was that, was this the moment where, was there a hole or was the scene, did it still, uh, you know, you mentioned Atmosphere, which they're sort of a hip hop act. And I know there's a, in, you know, you guys were introduced me to bands like Fog and like more of the esoteric stuff is how I describe it. Like what was in this late 90s, early 2000s? If you look back on it, generally, it was kind of a mini wasteland musically, I think. And that's what makes The Hold Steady and some of the other bands we'd listen to in the 2000s interesting. But how would you guys put where was the Minneapolis scene? Like what was it like as a uh, musically and in terms of the fans? Good question, Dan. I think Minneapolis in the late 90s, early 2000s, I was in bands back then and I was heavily involved in and then doing kind of the writing with 30 as well later on and getting interested in music journalism and, and whatnot. So it felt like it was just a very tight knit community of artists kind of and very kind of similar, similar sounding. I think a lot of it was and a lot of that came from Dillinger for and they were such an influence on a lot of a lot of other bands and they were you know open and willing to help out other bands they ran local record stores a punk rock store where you could find records probably and you could find the lifter puller records or the the atmosphere records or the or the bands that 
locally that you could support and bands like Cadillac Blindside, which kind of made a name for themselves out of that scene. Back of other bands that just kind of Motion City soundtrack kind of came out of that that era. They started in the late '90s and kind of that whole that whole network was. But as far as I don't know what it was, what it was really like. We were, you know, it was a lot of drinking and a lot of just trying to to play music and just do what do what you could do. Are there particular like venues or record stores like names and and places like? Because when you talk about a scene, it's kind of like I don't know. I'm from Milwaukee and there are like a couple of places where punk kids would kind of hang out like the pizza shuttle down on Farwell. And then there are like a couple of people's basements where things were happening. Is there like, was there a particular group of people that you could kind of identify or there were particular locations where you could definitely go to kind of scope out what was going on? I think for, as far as like a record shop, extreme noise, rings a bell is a place and that that was kind of run by i think it was run by one or two of the of the dudes from dillinger four and as far as venues go of course like the seventh street entry which is a part of part of the first avenue which one of the which one of the big uh prince was affiliated with that of course and then later on i, I don't know when the triple rock opened but i feel like the triple rock was early 2000s they opened the venue and that was just a very commonplace for local bands to to get their start and of course Dillinger 4 was affiliated with that and let a lot of bands play there as well any other places that you can think of uh, no I think I think you got it um, obviously extreme noise would be associated with D4 and then on the other side you'd have Fifth Element Fifth Element is, is the Rhyme Sayers record shop but there's really kind of a lot of great record shops around the entry as Kyle said is probably was probably the best place to see a, a small show like 200 or less which is attached to first Ave. you had seen uh d4 at the foxfire right yeah that was where lifter polar had opened for the, at the foxfire yeah. yep exactly yeah uh so that's another one but they're kind of all over as far as record shops like the electric fetus is the the big one with the the best reputation cheapo is one that's been around forever that's uh kind of caters more toward like the reselling than than anything but it's a uh, it's a large one as far as uh, record shops go but there's a lot of great one great ones around roadrunners another one that i personally like the time let it be which I, I think is where i first bought a lifter puller disc which isn't there anymore but that was on nicolette um it's another another good one what was the 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 other part that's interesting to me is what like craig talks a lot obviously talks a lot about the hard drug scene and that's both it's more visceral, I think, in Wifter Puller. You're, you, it more feels like you're the one actually getting beaten up, whereas the Hold Steady, there's a little bit of that. He's telling stories about other people, I think, a little more. You're watching someone get beat up instead. <laughs> right, it's a little bit more entertaining, I guess. But he also talks, we, we did Sweet Pain recently, and there's a lot of the, the skinheads. Like, and Kyle, you mentioned that the D4 shows were kind of scary. Was there... Were the, these darker elements present there, or was it more just kids being stupid and kind of beating each other up because that's what you do when you go to a punk rock show? I think, yeah, I think from my perspective, like it was just, I think, yeah, going in, going down to Minneapolis and going into a, a club like the Foxfire, 
with bands of that um, there were there were bands like jimmy Eat world would play there too or you know alkaline trio would play there at the same venue and hot rod circuit a lot of those earlier early quote-unquote emo type bands would play there and it'd be a much more chill environment you'd go and you just kind of smoke your cigarettes and watch the band play and it was chill but i think yeah when there was just this scene Dillinger for, and I think lifter puller to a point kind of brought these groups together, like the pop punk kids and the more hardcore kids. And it was kind of like, I was there as this kind of pop punk nerdy kid. Not really. I I was not wearing the leather jacket, not wearing the, the whatever you call it, the collars or the, the studded belts. I was just there because I loved, loved the music and I just engaged so much with it. But I think that scene kind of melded those two together, and it. But as far as the drugs and the and all those and all that stuff, I'm I'm not sure where that really comes from, or if it's just this fantasy of it, or if it's just kind of I don't know what what it is. I don't know. I didn't see I didn't see the firsthand any of like really the drugs going on, but. Yeah, that so it's hard to answer. To a point, I I always I never really took it all that literally. I, I kind of feel like Liverpool was uh, maybe leaned more on the side of fantastic, whereas uh, the Hold Steady is maybe a little more relatable. But it it always seemed to me like he was maybe indulging in a little more fantasy in in Liverpool. There, I think there would be like obvious roots and things, but then you would maybe accentuate that just for effect. But Minneapolis is kind of strange, I guess, in a lot of ways. Like what? Like what do you mean by that? Well, it's not uh, as far as metro areas go. It's not necessarily all that all that large. There's not I mean, to what I imagine a large city where there might be districts and things like that, where certain things would go down and other things wouldn't. Everything in Minneapolis just kind of seems like it's on top of each other. <laughs> so it's like everyone is just around each other, I guess. This is all happening simultaneously. There's a, a a line in one of the lifter puller songs where he says, uh, "We knew you were a dancer when we saw you at the city center, You're getting nice at the NK." And what happens on Fifteenth and Franklin depends on who's asking. We knew you were a dancer when we saw you at the city center, getting nice at the NK. I always kind of found <laughs> a little funny because it, it if you're not familiar with the NK, and I, I'm really not uh, all that familiar myself but it's been closed for a while but it's it used to be on Hennepin which there's a number of theaters and, and things like that there like legit theaters and it, it always kind of reminded me of you know a place that you'd go if you were out of town and you went to see a show and you're like oh yeah let's let's get Chinese food in Minneapolis this is the place to do it it's the Nankin it's kind of a landmark but the funny thing about Hennepin is like I swear right now among all these theaters there's at least one strip club on that same stretch of real estate. And so it's not far-fetched to see or to think of, of something like that taking place, but for probably the average Nankin patron, it would be like the farthest thing in the back of their mind that <laughs> these other elements are just kind of commingling among them. So it's like just mixed right in. It's woven in the... Right, and, and I, I think for the most part, the the... Various people living various different lives are somewhat oblivious to the respective realities of each other, maybe. Cool. Wow, that's a cool insight. I feel like that kind of, it's there, 
but there's a lot of imaginative kind of heightening or downplaying going on in the lyrics maybe right right and it's, it's like if you were to suddenly wake up and and realize like oh this this is happening right next to me that world is probably there for you to explore if you want to but uh, i'd say most people <laughs> most people don't go that route <laughs> on that point i'm on a mission to understand the cityscape skins and whether they are neo-nazi skinheads or like the type of skinheads pre-mod skinheads or what so at these shows you guys were going to were there people with shaved heads i would say i've never experienced that personally i wonder if i could get this audio <laughs> to you somehow but uh i had sent kyle do you did you watch that video i sent of craig fan of pizza luce all of it or just kind of skimmed it I watched, I think, all of it, yeah. Yeah, so there was one part, and I think it was in reference to Sweet Pain, where he was talking about, he always felt like that was kind of like the neo-Nazi skinhead area of St. Paul, which, like I said, I've never personally run into <laughs> that kind of element anywhere in Minneapolis. Pizza Luce is a pizzeria chain in Minnesota. They call themselves Minnesota's Best Pizza. And the one in Duluth, a stone throw from Lake Superior, would turn into a concert venue after hours. Brian is referring to a show he attended and recorded in March 2005, before Separation Sunday came out. The clip at the end of our Barfruit Blues episode is from that recording. The band was in fine form and had a bond with Duluth. They had played there more to that point than almost anywhere else, including bigger and closer towns to New York, like D.C. or Boston. Anyway, here's the clip Brian's referring to from near the end of the set, which features just about every Hold Steady song off the first two records and the bonus tracks. Is anyone here from by, by chance east side of St. Paul? Well, good. Because, um, like, I used to go to parties there when I was in high school. It's like 89. And I was going back then, I don't know if it still is, it's the Rockin' East Side. But really, probably it should have been called the Racist Skin Heavy East Side. <laughs> Rockin' East Side is way more catchy. They might have had an advertising consultant brought in on that. I think the time that he was referring to probably would have been the late 80s, early 90s. So I don't know if that's, <laughs> you know, when that kind of thing uh, started to fade out, if it's still there in pockets that you could find if you're looking for it. Uh, it's not really an area that I, <laughs> that I frequent that often. You're more of a Nanking guy. Right, right. <laughs> but I, I feel like that he's that comes from a, his own truth there <laughs> like I, I think there's an element of truth to what he's saying but it's not something necessarily that would be i don't know it ever being an area that people say you know you should stay away from that area because that's where the nazi skinheads <laughs> hang out i think it's more like if you're plugged into certain things and you find yourself in that area that's also where you'd find that group of people i'm trying to also think about something he says a lot in his interviews, because he's 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 really consistent. I think Craig, like he he may be an unreliable narrator, but it's he's consistent in how he's, he's telling his story. And he talks a lot about how Minneapolis. Because I'm trying to think about how where the lifter puller and the hold steady fit in the sort of constellation of Minneapolis a little. And he talks about how, especially maybe when you guys are pre-internet, obviously. By the time the Hold Steady comes around, sites like 30 Music are up, 
people are communicating, it's a lot easier to build yourself. But before that, he talks about how Minneapolis is really that much harder to reach. And so if you're going on a tour and you're not a flying band or whatever, it's a long way to go from Chicago to Minneapolis or whatever. And so it kind of gets ridden off. And that's where you have that unique culture that maybe brews of itself with the, again, the Husker Du replacements era. Is there a feeling around this time or even now, is there a feeling that Minneapolis is self-contained and is there any like chip on the shoulder or I know it's the Midwest and all those things, but is there any chip on its shoulder? Is there any pride? Is that, is that why the hold steady making it sort of big? I I don't know. I'm going to ask after how it compares to the others, but does that explain a little bit more of where the hold steady comes out of the fact that Minneapolis is sort of way up there in the middle of the country isolated? For me, from being from kind of growing up in Minnesota and being around the music scene there, it, there's I've always thought I've always had this insecurity about Minneapolis music that it's not being that no one else is listening to it, and I think there is kind of this, for at least from my perspective, there's this insecurity going on in the Twin Cities, and even for me, sometimes I'm surprised that people have even heard of Prince. <laughs> Or like I'll ask, like, do you really know who Prince is? Or like, who was bigger, Prince or Michael Jackson? You know, there's this like, or did Soul Asylum really make it on MTV? And you know, is Bob Dylan really from Minnesota? You know, he left there so many years ago. So I think there is that. And I think when I hear all of those references in Craig Finn's lyrics to the Twin Cities, I like I'll, I'll circle back to that. I think there's this sense of just this pride and this. Like I'm gonna write about it, and me, and that's what that's my curiosity is. Someone not, and I think I talked to maybe your brother about this, Dan Mark, about it once. About when you hear him reference all this stuff about the Twin Cities, does that, like, if I were to hear someone reference things about DC or Boston or something, it kind of goes over my head. But when I hear him reference the Mississippi River, Stillwater, which is a suburb of St. Paul, like all the suburban references, it's just kind of like the sense of like pride overwhelms me. And I'm like, yes, I can picture it. And I can picture all these places, the Riverside Perkins kind of going into his, um, his solo work. But back to your question, I think there is this interesting Minnesota insecurity of even to the point where some of the local radio stations consider like Bon Iver a local band. You know, he's from Wisconsin, but he kind of came up in that, Vernon kind of came up in the Minneapolis scene playing First Avenue and, you know, doing it. We got to keep him. (laughs) Wisconsin's got to keep him. I'm sorry. You cannot draft the Wisconsin artists over (laughs) to Minnesota. I have to draw a clear line there. Right. But someone's like, oh, no, he's he's from from Minneapolis. Like, First Avenue was a big break or whatever. But the current played him back in the day. So... But I think, yeah, there is. And I'm sure Brian has something more to say about that than I do. But I think that's from me being away so long and like, yay, go Minnesota. <laughs> being nostalgic. So, yeah. I'm with Mike. I mean, uh, Minnesota should have no claim to Bonnie Bear. I don't know why people try, but they do. <laughs> you try. <laughs> Where are you going to come for the violent fans next? Stay <laughs> on your side. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> there may be too there may be too deep into into Wisconsin for us to try, but yeah, I, <laughs> this is uh, 
this should be taken with a grain of salt because I don't know that anyone necessarily agrees with this. But setting Prince aside, if you think about maybe like the two biggest names in the 80s would be Husker Du and, and the replacements. Like I said, setting Prince aside and then coming into the turn of the millennium, you've got D4 and Atmosphere. The common thread, if there is one <laughs> between those bands, I think, is that notoriously they don't really give a fuck. come from the idea necessarily that uh, the things that they're doing might never be heard outside of their neighborhood or the state or or anywhere else they're just going to do what they want to do the way they want to do it and whatever happens happens so that may, <laughs> maybe addresses the topic at hand but that's kind of my observation of it is that i feel like the the artists that are maybe most associated with minnesota are tend to be artists that haven't paid or given much consideration to you know what life would be like if they were the larger nationwide touring band that i guess most people would associate with like say rock and roll or something like that well is is the hold steady maybe what makes them difference that they kind of walk that line because they do on the one hand they're they don't care that you don't understand minneapolis they're gonna and saint paul they're gonna put all of that into their songs and you know they seem pretty earnest and honest at the other side we've talked throughout this about how as you get into the late neither of us have really listened to the albums after stay positive i would say and boys and girls in america was such a populist sort of album and even i when we talked about hostile mass i was referring to i remember chatting with you brian about the sax solo on hostile mass and how, like what I don't want to characterize because I don't remember exactly how you put it, but it was like an ill omen. And I'm wondering if the whole city, like just in their early albums, at least just managed to get that line of not really caring, but also still figuring out how to make it sound big and have that. We've been talking about the Springsteen versus ACDC spectrum and how they've managed to get that right. Like, does that make sense as the whole study kind of goes right in the middle of those two, at least at their best of those two issues? Yeah, I, uh, I think that's a, a fair observation. Definitely when the whole study started, I don't think that they ever, I guess I shouldn't speak for them, but my assumption is that they would have never expected that they would become the band that they are. I kind of, and this is something I'm probably way wrong about too, but I, I kind of felt like they were a little more along the lines of not in sound, but in concept gorillas, where they were the band, but they they weren't the band that they were <laughs> that they were putting forth uh, necessarily. Like they had an image, they put forward an image that didn't necessarily represent how they like what they really right. Well, the thing that they were bringing to you was this band, but underneath that band was an actual band, <laughs> I guess, if that makes any sense. I think that makes sense. I think like when they they gave themselves the the right to be a bar band right from the beginning of almost killed me. And I think there's that that stigma or that that visual of them just kind of starting out to be a bar band. And it kind of I think it just kind of grew exponentially into something like, oh, maybe this isn't maybe this is more than maybe they were just completely joking about that. But I think it kind of gave them that 
that loose that looseness to be like we can do whatever we want with this we can do the acdc and do and do hyper literate lyrics and see how far we can get away with this and not give a crap what anyone thinks and we just want to play rock and roll music and this is what's going to come out but obviously craig finn is very very literate he's very well educated he's wickedly smart i don't understand half the things he's singing about but it's so interesting this to, to, to mix that with this concept of a bar band with sax solos and killer guitar solos and kind of off-kilter drums and everything that was going on and almost killed me and segueing that into Separation Sunday. And then from there, they obviously went to, I forget who put out separate, the, the next record. I think it was Vagrant Records. Vagrant, and they, yeah. yeah. And they went into the in the emo world or wherever they ended up, but they still kind of held true. And then they were, then they were Bruce Springsteen. So I think it, it's an interesting, an interesting thing where, like Brian was saying, even you don't think that they started that band thinking that they're gonna kind of make the make the progress they did. But do you think they're any more or less of a Minneapolis or Minnesota band today than in two thousand three, two thousand four, when they were starting? Has a distance grown between them and that kind of local? Don't give a crap philosophy or are they still do they still have that same sort of dna today that's a that's a good question i i haven't followed them really since stay positive i think too i don't know what's happened with them i know like as craig finn as a solo artist i've seen him within the last five years perform in the twin cities and he still has that very like i think his solo work kind of still has that i don't give a shit attitude like i'm gonna write music the way I want to write it when I'm not doing stuff with the Hold Steady. But I'm, I'm curious to hear what the Hold Steady have been doing recently, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Brian, have you listened to any of their recent records or not? Or? Uh, not regularly, I'd say. <laughs> but I think you're right. I think that at their root, that there's that ethos is still intact. But I definitely think that they're more conscious of their capability as a, a band at this point. And, uh, various things that that can can bring them so i kind of assume that they cater to that a little too to to try to maintain the momentum that they've had in in certain respects mike anything any or you guys anything else you guys want to share or make sure we i would just like to share this is one of the this is just a very very cool cool thing to be a part of like i have always just had this mad affection for the hold steady and craig finn and just how he has presented himself over the over throughout his career. And I saw him when it was 2016, I think he came through. I was in Minneapolis at the time. And I saw him at the Turf Club, which is another kind of staple venue for that scene. And I stuck around like a fanboy after and I asked the bass player, I'm like, is Craig still around? Do you think I could talk to him? <laughs> he came up and he signed my seven inch and we chatted about Honolulu a bit and because he had that song Honolulu Blues and I just have always had this this I feel like this connection with that artist of I think it's the Minneapolis the St. Paul and also just how he's been so is so positive and and so inspiring to other people and it's it's really neat to see others connect with his work in that way thanks Kyle Brian, can you top Kyle's 
enthusiasm <laughs> no i can't um <laughs> i do kind of getting back to what i was saying earlier i, I, I think there are layers or, or there are a lot of different ways that you can come at the content in in a any of the Minneapolis references and kind of getting back to what, what Shauna had said about how the myth of Minneapolis kind of blends with the reality, which makes it fine if, if you've never been here because, you know, it can, it, it can all be a myth and, and you, can, you can paint that any way you'd like in your mind. I grew up uh, not like in the metro area. I was uh, kind of in rural Minnesota. So a lot of those references for someone who hasn't lived here or hasn't lived like within the Twin Cities, which I've lived for quite a while now. But you take something like uh, 15th and Franklin or something like that. Someone outside of the Twin Cities probably <laughs> probably has no point of reference for, for what that is necessarily. And in their mind, that can be anything. And especially when you plug in the various things that are happening there, that can be just as evocative as, as, as anything. If you haven't lived in the Twin Cities but understand the area somewhat, you can look at 15th and Franklin and, and pinpoint where that is and say, like, oh, yes, this is where this is happening. I can see these characters you know, doing what they're doing in this area. That, that makes sense. Now I've got, <laughs> now I've got a place. <laughs> but then going further, I had a, a friend who lived not on 15th and Franklin, but very close to it. And he used to always make snide comments about the prostitutes that were hanging out around. something that you know, not having lived there uh, or in that area even if you just kind of walk the street or whatever you'd never <laughs> you'd never even consider like oh well that woman is clearly a prostitute and this and that but him living there for i don't know how many years was just kind of a daily reality and so it's you know, the three levels kind of maybe bring three different states of appreciation but i don't know necessarily that any one of them is is leaves you any better off than the other you're making me want to go there. <laughs> I'm waiting for the the experience tour of the old steady steadies, fifteenth and for or lifter polar fifteenth. Yeah, you have to show us around, or maybe your friend should show us around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you to Kyle Undum and Brian Holm for joining us. They are how I discovered the old steady, so they play a big part in the existence of this podcast. To support Kyle, check out his music at Kyle and Como at Bandcamp.com. That's Como with a K and Kyle also with a K. Brian stays off the grid, but he's working on a documentary film about the Duluth music scene, which is the deep Midwest, so we'll share news of that when we have it. We have one more episode coming for season one of A Positive Jam. It's an interview with a professional musician and podcaster where we go into the sound of Almost Killed Me. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun for you to hear. We're also starting to prepare for season two of A Positive Jam. 
If you have any ideas, requests, interest in participating, or anything else, email us at mail at shortmanstudios.com or hit us up at mbrookstaylor or at Daniel Shortman on Twitter. We want to make a positive jam as unified a scene as we can. We'd love to hear from you. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. Leave us a review on Apple. And we'll see you next week. Lord, to be 33 forever. It's got screwed up by our vision. It was scary what she.